Uh, I hope you've had a good weekend. Uh, it's good to see you guys here. I'm glad that you guys came to worship with us this morning. My name is Kyle. I'm one of the staff here at H2O. And so uh, you've arrived at week three into our sermon series called Messy Church. We're diving into 1 Corinthians. And uh, we've, we've called it Messy Church just because the church that Paul is writing to uh, in this letter is not exactly a church that has it all together. Uh, actually, this church is kind of young and it's pretty flawed. And so Paul is writing to them with a lot of instruction and a lot of care um, just so that they can thrive a bit more as a church. Uh, for us, we're going to uh, go through this book in the Bible all semester long uh, just to really dig into it and to, to see what it is that we could grow in as a church and as uh, individual believers. And so last week we were in chapters one and two. Uh, we, we talked a lot about how the cross seems to be foolishness to the world, but to those of us that believe, uh, it's the power of God. And so this week we're going to be continuing on in 1 Corinthians 3. And so uh, if you have a Bible, I always recommend getting that out um, because we're going to read it at the beginning and then I'll probably reference it throughout the sermon, uh, but it may not always be up on the screen. Uh, and so if you want to get that out, you can. Uh, before we dig into the scriptures, let's pray and just pray for God to speak and for God to be present with us here. Uh, Lord, we, we love you so much. God, thank you that we can come together and worship you. God, that we can come together and seek your face here as a church and as a church congregation. Lord, we pray that you'd speak to us. We pray that you'd be present here with us. Um, God, we love you. We thank you so much for your son and how you've saved us, uh, God, in that way. Lord, we love you so much. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 3, uh, starting in verse 4. It says this, For whenever someone says, I'm with Paul, and another, I'm with Apollos, are you not unspiritual people? What then is Apollos, and what is Paul? They are servants through whom you believed, and each has the role the Lord has given. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Now the one planting and the one watering are one in purpose, and each will receive his own reward according to his labor. For we are God's co-workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to God's grace that was given to me, I have laid a foundation as a skilled master builder, and another builds on it. But each one must be careful how he builds on it, for no one can lay any other foundation than what has been laid down. That foundation is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on that foundation with gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become obvious, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. The fire will test the quality of each one's work. If anyone's work uh, that he has built survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, it will be lost, but he will be saved, yet it will be like an escape through fire. All right, so a lot going on here. Um, in this chapter, Paul's kind of continuing some thoughts that he had in chapter one. Uh, it seems Paul was a little worried about how some people viewed their church leaders. Um, you know, he, he, he started to worry about that because they seemed to align with different church leaders like himself or Apollos or Peter. Uh, and in this, even in those verses in chapter one, Paul sort of sarcastically responds to that mindset uh, by asking, well, was it Paul who was crucified for you? Right? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? And so he kind of digs into that. And really what's, what he's getting at is that it's important that it's Jesus that we're following and Jesus that we're pursuing and Jesus that we're submitted to. 
And Paul knew that there are kind of two mindsets when people begin to take allegiances. Uh, the first is competitive pride, right? This idea that like the person that I follow is better um, or worse, that someone's faith would rest on a person rather than Jesus Christ himself. And neither of them are good. And so Paul takes a bit of a tangent to talk about the power of the gospel and the role of the Spirit in chapters 1 and 2, really just to remind us who it is that saved us and how that kind of works. And then here we are in chapter 3, and Paul is kind of re-engaging with some of this idea. And it's as if he remembered, like, oh, like what were we talking about again? Oh, divisions in the church. Right. Let's, let's continue that thought process. And so uh, continuing, uh, rather than just kind of continuing to tell people, hey, like, don't do that. Don't choose sides. That's bad. Uh, don't place too much value in people, that kind of thing. Uh, Paul decides to help people understand exactly what our role is as Christians or even just as leaders in the church. Uh, and he gives the example of himself kind of planting the seeds and then Apollos watering them, but God making them grow. Uh, and just kind of intending to show that while it's important that we serve and work at expanding the kingdom of God, uh, we've got to remember that it is only by God's power that our work is in any way profitable. And, and so shortly after this, Paul begins to give another metaphor of, of being a builder and kind of building on the foundation of Jesus and what that looks like. And so that's kind of where we are uh, so far in this letter. Uh, and then whenever I read over this particular passage, uh, there are a couple themes that I, I wanted to pick out. There are probably more that you could look at in this passage, um, but we're going to dive into a couple of them today. And the first is going to be unity, uh, unity in the church. And uh, the reason I think this is important for us to dig into is because uh, it's a topic that I think church leaders often dance around a little bit, uh, myself included. And, and the reason for that is because it's kind of messy and it's not, there's not always a straightforward solution to like how to be unified as a church, especially when looking at the overall church, not just our specific church. And, and so, you know, if, if I feel like we're being criticized for not being as unified with other church congregations, it's sometimes difficult to know exactly what it is that we're supposed to do about that. Uh, because it's kind of a logistical mess, I would say, a lot of the times, and it uh, doesn't always feel like it's worth it. And so I thought it would, I, I want to process through that a little bit. You know, what is unity in the church? Why is that important for us to care about at all? And, and what should that look like? And so a, a couple things to define first. I think there's unity in the church with a big C. Uh, so that's just talking about uh, the church of God, everybody that is a believer everywhere, not just our specific church. Uh, and, and so that would be a little bit um, more difficult, I would say, to dig into as far as like what that really looks like practically. And then there's unity in, in the sort of Little C Church, which is like our specific congregation. Um, what does that look like for us to be unified here in H2O? And so that's probably a little more practical, talking about what it looks like to be unified as a church body. Uh, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about both. And so occasionally we have people ask uh, why the ministries on campus, for example, aren't more unified. Uh, I feel like that's a common question that I hear, or uh, it's also common to ask, you know, why are there so many churches in a particular area, or even uh, asking why there are so many different types of churches or denominations. Um, and, and so all of these, I think, are valid questions, because in an ideal world, there's, there would be one denomination, right, that, that is based on the foundation of Scripture, and uh, really, ideally, that denomination would work in unity with all the churches that reside in it, and, and so it's reasonable to ask why that's not the case, uh, and yet, it's not a very realistic ideology whenever you think about how a lot of these things happened, how a lot of these denominations were formed, uh, because a lot of them were formed based on differences in really foundational theology, okay? And so, 
For example, even the question of what makes somebody a Christian or, or even what makes someone saved, if you ask different denominations, you'll get different answers to that question so that they may answer like, hey, all people are saved regardless of their life, regardless of their faith, or they may say, uh, you know, if you're good enough, you'll be saved, and they may say that if you have faith and, and works, then you're saved, or if you're baptized, you're saved, or if you take the Eucharist, you're saved, you know, all these kinds of things, all of these different kind of mindsets and theologies whenever you think about it, and so I think that that's where a lot of the divides come from. Uh, you know, somebody decides, hey, like, I don't know that I actually believe in some of the foundational beliefs of this church anymore, but I still think the church is important, and so, you know, I'm going to go start kind of my own thing, and then, you know, a new denomination is sort of formed. That's a really loose <laughs> example of that, um, and if you want to learn more about that, I would encourage you to research that on your own time, because uh, we ain't got the time to, to dig into that, to be honest. Um, and so I think either way, it's extremely important to understand that because really not all denominations uh, believe the true gospel. Um, and it's important to dig into that. Like not all, not all congreg- or congregations and, and uh, denominations really believe that we're saved only by grace through faith in the blood of Jesus. And so this kind of goes back to something Paul talked about in chapter one, uh, you know, that it's important that we're following Jesus and not men, that we're checking what we believe against the scriptures. Um, you know, don't take my word for it. Don't take Grant's word for it. I hope that, you know, you read the Bible that you have and, and uh, that you're discerning what the scriptures are intending to say and all of that kind of thing. This takes effort and time, by the way. Like, that's not an easy process. Um, but the reality is if, if you're not a student of the word, um, I think that you're kind of prime to be deceived by people that are teaching false gospels. And so it's really, really important that you're digging into that. I was uh, talking to a leader in our church recently, and he told me that each week he tries to read through the scriptures that we talk about here in church uh, to basically to see if what we're saying is true. And I was like, man, like, I could be really offended by that, but I'm not at all. Like, I, I'm actually encouraged by that. I'm, you know, I hope that, you know, people are doing that um, because, if I'm speaking something contrary to what the scriptures even say, uh, I even hope that you would correct me, you know, come to me and, and tell me, hey, like this isn't, I think, what this is even talking about. Um, but, but more than that, I think that builds faith in the scriptures. I think it builds faith and, and trust in your church, uh, whether, like, as long as they're actually holding faithfully to uh, what the Bible actually says. And, and so, um, I don't know, I think that that's really, really valuable and important and something to, to, to process through. And so that covers a little bit about denomination. That's scratching the surface, I would say, of what it looks like to, to, I don't know, why there are so many different denominations and why there's not a ton of, like, unity between all of those. Um, But then even thinking about unity among churches and ministries with with similar beliefs, like, you know, I think that it's something worth understanding because it's easy to look at the scriptures and say, like, well, what gives? It seems like when uh, we, we read the Bible, that there's maybe one church in a particular like city or location, right? Like you, you hear about like the church of Corinth or the church of Philippi or, or, or things like that. And so it might be easy to say like, well, why are there like 18 Baptist churches in like a one mile radius of like where we're at right now, you know, or something, you know, they all believe very similar. Why are there so many of them? And uh, I think it's easy to, to think that and to, to say that. Um, but I think it's worth considering that, for example, the, the, the 
the scripture that we're reading right now, or the, the text that we're reading, is written to uh, the church in Corinth. And the city of Corinth at that point in time, whenever Paul was writing to them, probably had about 50,000 people uh, as a population. So there may be one church for 50,000 people, which is already, uh, it seems like a little bit of an overwhelming thing, right? Like one church is, is intended to reach 50,000 people. Uh, but then even there, culturally, uh, you know, it wasn't as normal to be Christian, right? So like most people were either Jews or like Gentiles or they had some sort of pagan Greek belief. Um, whereas like in our culture, it's much more normal to be Christian or identify as Christian than any other religion. And, and so uh, even when we look at like UC, UC has about 45,000 people here, nearly as many as, as, as Corinth did during this time. And there are probably more than a few churches that are invested in this campus to varying degrees. Uh, and the reason for that is because I think that there's a need for that. There's, there's more people that maybe express belief and faith in Jesus and, and need a kind of fellowship to engage with the Lord in and that sort of thing. And so the need is much higher. All that to say, do we have too many churches in Cincinnati? Probably not, honestly. Probably not. And uh, there are really, I mean, there's a lot of people in Cincinnati. There's a lot of churches, but not all of them are exactly thriving or doing well. Many of them dying, actually, uh, because people are, are coming to them less and less and are involved in them less and less. And so when, when you think about just how many people, for example, are even just, just in the city of Cincinnati, uh, you know, there's, there's literally millions of people here, and so there's, there's plenty of need to go around as far as why there might be more and more churches. All right, stick with me. Um, so then to ask the question, why don't more churches that believe the same stuff kind of collaborate and work together? That's another question I hear often, uh, and honestly, it's, it's sometimes, that's, this is probably because it's sometimes just more work than it's worth. That sounds like really, I don't know, selfish or something like that. But I think a lot of churches have a, a great mindset of like, let's collaborate when we can and let's be really kind of open-handed with our resources and let's, you know, all of that kind of stuff. But it, it almost feels like trying to fit like a square peg through a circular hole sort of to, to try and work with a lot of these churches that have very different philosophies as to how to reach out to the people around them and even to minister to the, the people that are in their own church and stuff like that. And, and so rather than that, it's sometimes easier to just be, hey, like, like let's be supportive of each other reaching out and you know like collaborate where we can and stuff like that but let's not overly stress out about trying to like work together just because an example of this uh, even nearby you see there's a church called Christ the King great bible believing church that that loves Jesus wants to see lives transformed and we don't really do anything with Christ the King great church love them um, you know, and, and then recently they, they kind of offered to us a space for our band to practice and, and to use so that we can, we can have, because we we're not finding a space to practice for our band. And, uh, and so they were really supportive and helpful and open-handed. We don't really work with them any other time, but, but they see that, that there's a way they could help us and serve us so that we can reach the people around us better and that sort of thing. And so that's, that's an example of that. All right. So let's take a step back. Let's breathe for a second. It's a lot. And I want to talk specifically about what it would look like to be unified specifically in our church, right? Uh, unified in H2O. And this is important because if we're not unified, it's going to have an effect on our own walks with Jesus, but also on the walks uh, of people around us that come in here needing Christ. And so uh, it's important for us to have no disunity or disharmony among us. 
um, or between us and to function really as a family that loves each other and is striving to grow as a church body in depth and in truth. And so I actually don't have a ton to mention on this topic, but I thought it could be valuable to boil it down to two things that I think everything can, everyone can worry about, can, can uh, work on in order to, to strive for unity in our church. They're really short and really simple, but not always easy, and they're also a little blunt, so sorry about that. Um, the, the, first, the first one is this, don't gossip. Don't gossip. Um, don't let words come out of your mouth that speak negatively about somebody else unless you're talking directly to them in love for their growth, right? Any other time that you're talking ill of somebody else is not going to do wonders for unity in our church. So I think that's really important. We all have faults. We all have shortcomings. And sometimes that can be valuable and even encouraged, right, to, to, to share that with that person so that they can grow. Um, like if I have faults or something like that, not if, I know that I have faults, but if you recognize faults in me that, I, you know, you know that I can grow in, like I would love that if you would come and point that out to me in a loving manner so that I can grow and so that I can uh, pursue Jesus in a better way. But, but talking to somebody else about another person's faults just so that you can kind of vent and feel better honestly doesn't do a whole lot for unity. Um, Cassie sort of taught me this idea. If somebody is gossiping to me about another person, a, a good mindset is, if you haven't talked to them about it, I don't want to hear it, right? And, and so to, this alone, I think, can do wonders for bringing unity. Don't gossip. Uh, when you love your brothers and sisters well, you won't speak poorly of them. Uh, the second thing is love selfish, selflessly. Sorry. Love selflessly. Um, or more blunt, uh, stop being so selfish. <laughs> and so it's this idea of, hey, let's stop thinking about ourselves so much, and, uh, and you won't divide your church. You won't cause divisions in your church. Nearly every situation I can think of that causes drama, um, honestly, in general, not just in our church, but, but drama in general or disunity, um, is a situation that comes about only because people are thinking more about themselves than about their brother or sister. Um, Jesus literally teaches us to die to ourselves, right? And so, by the way, both of these things, not overly complicated tips, right? But not always easy to put into practice at the same time. Um, so, so not complicated, but also difficult, um, worth thinking about. The more that we forget about ourselves, the better off we will be, the better off our church will be. So those are, those are the two things. And, and listen, again, this topic overall, unity, probably way too big uh, to fit in, inside like a Kyle Barta-sized sermon. Uh, and so uh, the reality is any person that believes in Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins is a brother or sister. And we ought to treat them that way, um, like family. And when we do that, regardless of what church they belong to, unity will follow. And so you'll be united with another member of God's family, even if only for a period of time. An example of this um, I mean, have you ever met somebody from another country that knows and loves Jesus? I mean, there are people like that in this room, but even just like being in another country uh, where there's a different culture, language, you know, they like different things, and yet they love the same Jesus. And, and when that happens, you see a little bit of um, kind of what that looks like to be unified under kind of the banner of Jesus Christ. And it's a really beautiful thing. This is the type of unity that we ought to strive for in our own church, uh, to see each other as family, as brothers and sisters, uh, all children of God uh, that we ought to honor and love. All right, so that's unity. Uh, and then there's one more thing, I, or one more topic I wanted to touch on, and that's building and foundations. 
building and foundations. Uh, and so we talked about unity in the church, um, big scale church, and, and then our own. Uh, but then what about kind of building it? What about building the church? Paul gives meta- multiple metaphors as to what it looks like to expand the kingdom of God. Uh, but I think some of these metaphors apply not just to our church, but our lives. And so uh, there's one specifically that I want to own in on. Paul talks about how each of us at the end of times is going to receive a reward according to our labor. That is, looking at our labor according to how we build up the kingdom of God, um, we're, we're going to receive a reward. He goes as far as to say that we're God's co-workers, and then he begins to talk about laying a foundation of Jesus Christ and building on that. Um, so, so when we're talking about uh, building up the church and those inside the church, we're building on the foundation of the gospel. That if, and if they don't have that foundation, it's sort of pointless to, to even bother, like building on that. Uh, and so he, he, he gives the example that we can build on that foundation with gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw. Uh, and then at the end of times, each person's work is going to become obvious when it's tested by fire. That is to say that some of the building up will end up being worthless because it wasn't quality work to begin with. Okay? This metaphor is, is really good. I want to touch on two aspects of it. The first is on building up the kingdom. Building up the kingdom. And so, if you are a believer in Jesus, you're called to be a world changer. I want to make that really clear. You're not called to a life of passivity. Okay, uh, uh, you're not called to having just a nice life that involves you coming to church occasionally uh, and living a life that's really not any different from the world apart from the fact that you say that you love Jesus, all right? And so I mentioned that some last week. If you actually have a faith in Jesus, that's going to change everything about you. There's nothing that you can do about that because when you have faith in Jesus, the Spirit of God enters you and begins to change you from the inside out, right? You begin a relationship with God and it starts to infect every part of your being. And so a large part of that is building up God's kingdom and inviting other people into God's family and even strengthening those that are already in God's family. And so when Paul begins to talk about building the kingdom of God, he seems to imply that not every person's effort is considered equal. All right? And I'll be honest, this is an area where I think I worry about the American church specifically. Because it seems like the American church is becoming more and more comfortable, right? More and more like it's trying to build an organization instead of building the kingdom of God. And so you may have some people in your church that are building with gold, right? They're, they're making deep kingdom investments in the lives of people. Uh, they're continuing to point them towards Jesus and not ourselves and continuing to challenge them to live like the scriptures teach, difficult but really good solid work and then you'll have other people in the same church and congregation that that the extent of of their work is kind of building with straw it's like you know wearing a t-shirt to class a church t-shirt or a jesusy t-shirt and that's the extent of your witness to the people around you right building with straw not something that's going to last now in both of these people they may believe in Jesus. They may have a relationship with Jesus, right? Paul says that, uh, you know, even if their work is burned up, uh, they will still be saved, but it will be like escaping through fire, is, is the words that he says. And so he seems to insinuate that, yeah, they're still saved, but maybe a close call, you know? And, and not to imply that, like, your good deeds save you, but it does seem to imply that uh, the way that you live your life is an indicator of whether or not you're saved, and so understandably, building up the kingdom with straw or wood or hay will be kind of confusing to other believers. 
They may wonder if you actually know Jesus based upon the way that you live your life. And that is a perfectly reasonable thing to wonder, by the way. As long as I've been a part of this church, there's always been people that come to church uh, and even have been a large part of of what we do and have been very involved. And I sometimes just can't tell if they actually love Jesus. It's, you know, it's not like a judgy type of thing, but it's just, you know, I, I... just can't tell based upon the way they live their life if that's actually, uh, like if they actually have a relationship with God that has changed their life. And I'll have the conversations, I'll ask the difficult questions, you know, and they may answer all the right things, you know, but their life looks really lukewarm and really kind of half-hearted. And it's hard to tell sometimes whether or not they actually know the Lord. It's as if they're kind of trying their best to marry this Jesus thing with living the way that the world does. All this is to, to say, what, what kind of labor are you producing? I think that's important to ask yourself. Are, are you building God's kingdom with, with gold and silver and stone? Or are you building it with hay and wood and straw? And, and there have been seasons in my life where I've done both, by the way. I've had seasons where I see God doing a lot in and through me, building with things that last. And then I've also had seasons where I know that I'm not pursuing Jesus with my whole heart. And that affects the kingdom work that I'm putting in. Is your kingdom work one that's led by the Spirit and by the power of God, or is it led uh, really by your own strength, half-hearted, weak? That kind of work won't stand the test of time. Uh, your heart attitude may be somewhat okay, right? You want to serve God. You want to do something about your relationship with God. That's good. Let's grow, right? Let's, let's work on that so that the work that you put in may be work that impacts eternities, and, uh, and not just the next year or two of somebody's life. All right, so that's, that's building the kingdom. The second thing relative to building is, is, is the building of our lives, the building of our lives. Um, and, and I know, by the way, this isn't specifically what Paul is talking about here, and so if you caught that, that's good. Proud of you, because uh, that's not the context of, of the scripture that we were talking about. He's talking about labor, putting in labor into the kingdom of God. Uh, but this is a consistent idea throughout scripture. Jesus said this in Matthew seven twenty four through 27. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a sensible man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the rivers rose, and the winds blew and pounded that house. Yet it didn't collapse because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the rivers rose, and the winds blew and pounded that house, and it collapsed. And its collapse was great. And so first to to ask ourselves, okay, what foundation is your life built on? What foundation is your life built on? Many people here in this room genuinely have a foundation built on Jesus, right? kind of like Paul says, and if you do that, you'll have life and life abundant, right? You'll have joy and fulfillment that only can come from God. That doesn't mean that life is always going to be easy, by the way. Jesus said right in this passage, the storm is going to come, okay? The storm's going to come. And the reality is, if your foundation is on Jesus, when that does come, you'll have a deep relationship with God to rely on, to lean on. But not, but not everybody is building on that foundation, no other foundation is going to suffice no matter how good. Are you building your life on the American dream? Having a decent wage and, and building a family in the suburbs. 
Not wrong, right? But if, if that's not a good way to, to build your life. That's not a good foundation upon which you should build your life. Maybe you have a foundation of hedonism, right? Do what makes you happy, what makes you feel good. And that won't suffice either. Only Jesus can give you life and life abundant. Only he can satisfy your deepest needs. And you can look elsewhere. That's fine. But when you do, <laughs> it's going to end up failing you. And the reason for that is because you're worshiping a gift and not, not the giver. Remember when that happens, what foundation you need to rebuild. And so what foundation is your life built on? It's worth considering. And then, even then, it's not just the foundation, um, but, but what kind of materials? What kind of materials are you building your life with? We just talked about this in, in that verse, or uh, in that section with Paul. Um, are, are you using straw and hay, or are you using gold and stone? Um, if you're using weak materials to build up your life, you may be seeking to do as little as possible to, to build up your life with Christ. This is how that might look. You might be attending, but not involved in a church. That's one way. You may not have deep fellowship with other believers that are going to push you closer to Jesus. Right? Paul says this, bad company corrupts good character. That's not just a nice saying. That's in the scriptures, you know? Who are the people that are investing in your life? That's going to affect uh, how you build your life with Christ. Are you prioritizing gifts over God? Uh, I think about the wells that Grant talked about in the first Sunday of the semester, um, the well of relationships, the well of achievement, the well of gratification. And you can run to all of those wells, none of them in inherently bad things, but they're not going to fulfill you in the way that, that, that Jesus does. God has to be our priority. And then uh, the last thing would be um, having little to no secret life. And what I mean by that is, is our life in secret impacts our life in public. And so um, are you spending time in the word? Are you spending time in prayer? These are the kinds of strong secret life things that you ought to be building if you want to build up your life in Christ. And then the reverse of all of these things is, is strong materials. Really, it's kind of just the opposite of what we just talked about. Um, if you're using strong materials, you'll be very involved uh, and plugged into a church, right? Uh, you'll be very invested in the lives of other believers, and they will, as a result, be invested in you, okay? You'll make time for God regardless of how busy your schedule is, right? And then you'll have a strong secret life, time in God's word, time in prayer, time seeking counsel and encouragement from other people, from other believers, and you see that these are just examples, right? Like you can, there are plenty of ways that you could do both of those things, building with weak or strong materials in your life. Um, but you also see that even if you have a foundation of Jesus, you can build your walk with him with weak materials. And, and when that happens, Jesus becomes your side dish. Right? He just becomes something that you add to your life. He's, he's not a priority. <clears throat> but what God calls us to do is to come and die. He calls us to come and die to ourselves and to live to Christ. He goes as far as calling us a new creation. He calls us born again uh, because our lives are no longer about ourselves when we have this foundation of Jesus and we're building on that foundation with Jesus. It's about God. Our lives are completely about God. And, and when that's the case, all of the symptoms kind of follow, right? All of the stronger materials will follow that are going to survive the storm and the fire. And so, listen, I know it's a lot. We've talked about a lot today. Um, 
I think it's good to, to just take a step back and examine your own heart. Where are you at? Where are you at right now? What is God speaking to you? What, what kind of foundation are you building your life on right now? Not just, you know, in the past or, or something like that or what you'd like to do in the future, but what are you building on right now? It's important to identify that. What kind of materials are you using to build up the kingdom of God? Right? It's important to identify these things. And, and what kind of materials are you using to build up your own walk with Jesus? And, and to learn to sacrifice the weak materials for the strong. I'd, I'd encourage you to process through that um, as, as we worship. I'd love to invite the band to come back up. We're going to sing a few more songs. Um, spend some time praying, singing, listening to God uh, during this time. Um, if you need to talk to somebody or if you need prayer, uh, there's, there's going to be people in the back of the room with prayer lanyards. Uh, there are these bright green lanyards all the way back in the room as well or in the back of the room as well. Um, and we'd love to talk with you or pray with you. Let's, let's pray. God, um, Lord, we love you so much. Father, we just thank you for who you are. We thank you that uh, you're a worthy foundation to build our lives on. God, and we just ask that you would dwell with us here. God, you, I ask that you'd even just help us to make any life change that's necessary if we need to make life change there. Lord, help us to identify those things and to actually respond to you. God, we love you so much, Lord. And uh, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.